Hey, this is Randall Foster from Symphonic Distribution. You are listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From The Guardian, making music is about making assets for social media. Pop stars battle digital burnout. From Yash Bagal, how TikTok creators are redefining success in the music industry. And from Variety, Dead Mouse manager Dean Wilson talks DAOs, NFTs, crypto, and how to protect your IP in Web3. Get out your acronym decoder ring for all of this. This is Jay Gilbert and myself. It's the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Kick back, relax, because here we go right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. And Jay, it's a Saturday. I am I, I, in, a, in a rare display of being awake early-ish. Uh, we're starting a little early. <laughs> ah, yes, we are. It's a rare day when I kind of roll out earlier than planned. It is. I am. Usually I get a little text from you like, yeah, can we start like five minutes later? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm such a slog in the morning. It's just like... Oh, it's all good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm going to go. I'm gonna see some music tonight. I'm going to go see Jason Isbell in concert up in... Uh, Santa Barbara, looking forward to a little live music. Always fun, right? Always nice. inspiring. Let me know how that is. Where, where are you going? Is it Santa Barbara Bowl? Where is it? No, it's at the Arlington Theater up in Santa Barbara. Ah, which, nice. Uh, for those of you in Southern California, if you're listening in, if you haven't been to the Arlington, it is a fantastic venue. It's uh, it's indoors and it's a it's a theater. I, I'm trying to remember how much it seats. I don't know. Maybe 1,200 or 1,000 yeah. or something I think something I saw like so Jerry Seinfeld no, there than, once. It's, yes, it's really cool. Yes. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of different cool bands over the years there, and it, it, the inside is like a—it's it, designed to look like the courtyard of a mission. Like you're outside, so, like you're outside, and they have that kind of <laughs> concave roof with where yeah. so it looks like it's dusk, and there's little stars in the ceiling. It's like it's a neat hang, and it's yeah. uh, it's because the Santa Barbara Bowl, which, which is also a great venue, it's it's not quite that season yet. But yeah. Santa Barbara has two, three actually. Then there's the Libero Theater up there, which is also a lovely venue to see music and. You know, I can small. get to Santa Barbara quicker than I can get downtown LA <laughs> from my place. So from your place, yeah, 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 yeah. Although they're working on the freeway, so the construction oh. it, it, it can be a slog to get up there. Yeah. It's it's uh, we'll see. I'm leaving early. I anyway, don't know. Live music. Well, I don't Love know if it. I ever told you the story, but one time I was 
driving to work. This is when I worked at Universal. And I was just popping around listening to some different radio stations. And it picked up a um, Santa Barbara station, which was pretty cool. And I was listening to it on my drive home. And the DJ comes on and says, uh, you know, the third caller gets, you know, free tickets to Jerry Seinfeld. So I just typed in the number. Nothing. You know, busy. Hit, you know, redial. Nothing. I was going to do it like maybe one more time just for fun. And it went through. And it said, what's your name? And I told him, and he said, you're the lucky winner. And I got, like, front row Jerry Seinfeld tickets Wow! at that beautiful venue. And it was a <laughs> lovely night. He was absolutely hilarious. That's fantastic. <laughs> Nothing like going out and seeing live entertainment. And uh, it's so nice to be even considering yeah. that after yeah. so long with not. Yeah. Yes. By the way, the guy that I get to chat with every week, he is Jay Gilbert, the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which I'm sure you know is weekly music news for the new music business and a former executive with Universal, Sony, and Warner Music Groups, and of course voted in his high school class the most likely Here to goes. rock. Yes. <laughs> That's genius, man. You just pulled that out of thin air. Um, and I am uh, very fortunate to have Mike Etchart as my uh, co-host. He's a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal. And Mike, how about that intro uh, from Randall Foster over at Symphonic? Yes, yes, yes. So we, we, we talk a lot about Symphonic and, and their sort of newsletter things and all the tips they do and what a great organization that is. So very nice of him to... Uh, step into the booth and record a little intro for us. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, we appreciate it. Very nice. And by the way, we, of course, have wonderful sponsors that help Jay and I put the show together every week, without whom we would uh, not be able to do the show every week. So uh, our sponsors include the Music Business Association. In case you don't know, the four-day Music Biz 2022 conference agenda has just been announced, taking place May 9th through 12th at the JW Marriott in lovely Nashville. You should be beating the... Uh, that's a little bit before the humidity kicks in, I think. Uh, along with returning favorites like the Metadata Summit, hashtag NextGenNow, DSP Workshops, and Brand Summit, to name just a few, you'll find timely new additions for 2022, including conversations on NFTs, gaming and immersive music experiences, catalog acquisitions, and much, much more. Jump over to musicbiz.org for more information on that super groovy conference where yeah. you will be at. And I think, are you going to be on a panel there, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be on a couple of uh, events there, which I'm really excited about. One is with Randall Foster, who did our intro. Um, he's got a panel and it's titled Navigating New Strategies, How A&R, Artist Marketing, and Distribution Come Together in the Age of Streaming. And I'll be a panelist on that. And I'm uh, really excited to join uh, Randall and Michael Burroughs and the, the great uh, folks over at uh, Symphonic. Um, but it's always a great conference. And I'm uh, really looking forward to it because it's been a couple of years since we were able to do it uh, in person. So I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, your Morning yeah, Coffee... Yeah. Uh, podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, um, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website, everything is built right in. 
hosting, and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, very important, social media integrations and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com and just try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and that will get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, it's consumed, it's marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton. With considerable help from Owen Davis, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by Live Music Discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Yeah, and speaking of bands in town, over 65 million live music fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard, and that will help them manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes, indeed. So big thanks to the Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Boy, we certainly appreciate their participation and help, and we could not do it without them. So, Jay, we've got a really interesting, interesting, interesting story we're going to start with. Um, And I'm going to start with a a bit of a story, too. You know, my my dad's been gone for many years now, but but he was alive when I was working at Universal. And... Uh, I remember showing him my Blackberry when we, we, we first got Blackberries at Universal and, um, you know, telling him that I could answer emails in the evening and get caught up and do all kinds of stuff. And, you know, the, the, the Blackberry, to my way of thinking, um, was really the beginning uh, as an employee in the entertainment business, at least, of, of essentially the always on every waking hour is a yeah. working hour uh, yeah. Uh, existence, which which really still carries over today, and and you know, as somebody from a different generation, he was he was so surprised and couldn't really fathom because in his era, when when five o'clock came around or whatever that was, you were done for the day. You and turned you went off home, and you and you didn't think about work at all. And you know, we talk a lot on this show about all of the empowering. Uh, things that are driving artist development and that artists can do for themselves to keep uh, their their brand essentially out in the uh, yeah. in the in the verse of where you know we're, we're, as you're marketing yourself in the music industry, but there is such a cost to that, isn't there? Yeah, and um, we're starting to learn more about that, right? And this article, yeah. is, well, there's actually two of them that we're going to touch on, but the main one here was from the Guardian. You know, the headline is "Making Music is About Making Assets for Social Media: Pop Stars Battle Digital Burnout." And we're also going to talk a little bit about mental health as we dig into this too, because this can be very taxing. Um, but before we jump into the article, I just I jotted down a few notes because you and I used to play in bands and do some touring, and it was a simpler time back then. So I kind of broke it out into two columns. Like one is pre-internet, and there's only a few things that we used to do. We would write songs, record songs, release songs. And we'd perform live. And if you were fortunate enough to, you know, maybe do some interviews at radio stations and a few other ancillary things. But really, it's write, record, release, perform, right? It was a pretty simple time. 
Now, I jotted down just a few things that some of my clients um, have to do. And the reason they have to do these things is, and they go into it when they talk about uh, Tegan and Sarah in this article, is that you're judged on your social footprint and your streams and all of these kind of uh, data points. And you can lose out on maybe getting booked uh, on a festival or Mm -hmm. lose out on other opportunities because either A, your audience isn't big enough, or B, it's not trending in the right direction. <clears throat> you know, we talk about if you get on one of these competition shows like, you know, an American Idol, The Voice, America's Got Talent, well, you know, when those things, while you're on those shows, you have this incredible growth in audience and engagement. But a lot of times when you leave those shows, if you don't have a strategy, you have this big social footprint that's not trending in the right direction and is not engaged. So here are a couple of things, and then we can jump into the uh, article. So I mentioned, so pre-internet, write, record, release, perform. Pretty simple. Post-internet, to your point, I should say like post-Blackberry, you know, when all of these (laughs) things came up, but Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Maybe Discord, you know, Twitch for a lot of artists. A lot of artists are using LinkedIn. You know, you have to be aware of things like Wikipedia. You have to have a website. You have to optimize for voice. There's all of these smart speakers, and you need to optimize for that. Um, You need to create assets. And what I mean by that are like banner sets, you know, coming soon, out now for all these different platforms. You have to create videos, lyric videos, pseudo videos, you know, teaser videos, unwrapping videos, um, behind the scenes. And then you have to chop those up into little bite-sized chunks for maybe an eight second, uh, canvas video or a 15 second, you know, Instagram stories or a reels video. So you're also, all of this comes back to your responsible for being engaging with your fans on these platforms. And then you can even go a, a, a step further and you might have a Patreon or a Substack or an OnlyFans or a Cameo or you're working with WhatsApp. <clears throat> and then on top of that, you've got all those other things, write, record, release, perform, and that perform may include live streaming. So that is a lot for artists today and if you're not at the level of a superstar artist who has a team Mm -hmm. that will post in your voice and do things on your behalf and create these assets if you're a developing artist or a middle-class artist as uh you know uh, tegan and sarah point out man that it can be a lot it can be overwhelming and you know if, if you just look at the headline you know making music is about making assets for social media yeah, pop stars battle digital burnout, and that is really important. And, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this over the years quite a bit, which is, you know, oh, and by the way, do all that stuff, but also make music that makes me cry or that, that I want to play over and over and over again. And right. it's like, wow, how can anybody, how can any human? And then just the blowback of social media, which is, you know, it is, it is. It, it, there's so many cruel people out there and you know it's yeah. when you were you know as 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 well as I do as giving our musician past um, 
um, sharing your feelings, going up there and performing and entertaining and putting yourself out on the line is really hard to do. It's super hard. And when you have people come back and say, you know, you suck and that song's, you know, it's like, it can really just beat you down. And And you didn't really see that before the internet. Like, you wouldn't have very many fans, you know, that would come up to you and just say something really rude. But with social media, there's this anonymity where uh, they they can hide behind a username and say just the meanest things. And, you know, that's what they opened up this article with. They they talk about, you know, uh, Charlie XEX said that she was stepping back from Twitter after receiving negative comments from fans about the campaign for her forthcoming album, Crash. And she's not the only one. There are a lot of artists now that, you know, it's it's affecting their mental health to get yeah. some of these really cruel things that people say. And I think today fans, a lot of fans, want access. That's their thing. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the currency. But it can have negative mental health effects on the artists. Um, I just kind of Googled it to kind of see who's doing things about it. And according to one study by the University of Westminster, um, almost 70% said they have, uh, of musicians said they had experienced depression um, and over 70% experienced severe anxiety and panic attacks. So there are organizations out there, you know, Backline is an organization dedicated to uh, connecting musicians and, and anyone in their orbit, you know, from roadies, sound engineers, agents, you know, with mental health resources. So that's Backline. Um, a couple others, ASCAP, you know, has a wellness program, um, Live Nation, um, has a, a, a nonprofit called Tour Support. So wherever you are, there there are resources. There's help available, and I know for you and I, mental health um, is is so important, and it's something that um, needs to be talked about even more. And the reason I, I bring it up is because it, it's talked about in this article um, so much because this social media, just the stress of having to create content every day and compelling content and then have an, a large social footprint and have it trending in the right direction, uh, it can be very dangerous uh, for some of these artists. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, Charlie XCX said, I have been feeling like I can't do anything right at the moment. I've noticed lately that a few people seem quite angry at me for the choices of songs I've chosen to release, for the way I've decided to roll out my campaign, for the things I need to do to fund what will be the greatest tour I've ever done. I've been grappling with my mental health the past few months, and obviously it makes negativity and criticism harder to handle. And that's an important thing is, you know, when you put yourself out like that as an artist in the social media sphere, you get a ton of negativity and criticism just because people are jerks. And, you know, like, like to your point, you were, you know, in our era, if you're playing a show, um, the people that don't want to go, don't go, <laughs> you know, the, the people don't give money and then they come in and, and berate you because they don't like you. It's like, no, they just don't even show up. That's so you're really just, yeah. we're playing, you're playing for people that, that are there because they want to be. But yeah. now with social media and, you know, and I can tell you, we, as, as the father of kids, both you and I with, you know, we watch our, sometimes our kids struggle with this and I've got a teaching credential. So I, I'm around teachers a lot and, and have taught classes myself yeah. and you see the, the anxiety and stress that it, that it, um, that, that it, it just 
is around any kid that is so, you know, they, that's kind of their validation if yeah. they have followers. And, it, and it's, it's so detrimental to their yeah. mental health. Yeah, I'm so glad that we didn't have social media, <clears throat> excuse me, when you and I were young. Because you're right, it causes all sorts of uh, challenges. I'm a big fan of uh, Tegan and Sarah, if you're not familiar with them. Um, these uh, two... Yes twin uh, women who have been writing amazing uh, music for years. Um, I actually got to work one of their releases when I was at Sanctuary back in like 2003-ish. And uh, my friend Scott Pappas introduced me, and I just think they're amazing. Plus, they're they're very outspoken, and um, I just love everything about them. Anyway, Sarah Quinn, she's the Sarah of Tegan and Sarah. You know, they're from uh, Canada. She said that she desi- uh, derives zero percent pleasure from the google doc from this google doc containing the band's social media calendar you know she said that you know when the when the duo were searching for a new record label they repeatedly encountered expectations that they would have a widespread and active online presence quote we're always looking for new revenue streams and opportunities because we're not touring and i hate to admit it but our social media reach dictates everything for a band like us our online metrics equate to how much a record company will give us for a record or how much you know coachella will give us to play saturday at 3 p.m and i see this every day with my business people are inherently lazy and we we reported on this i think last week or the week before about the changing face of a and r you know the act of artists and repertoire you know people who sign artists to labels and how um, some of the lazy ones just look at the data. They look at the data platforms to see, you know, maybe what's what's bubbling up quickly that's unsigned or getting a lot of airplay in a certain market or, you know, there's a TikTok thing that's blowing up. So in some ways, people can get lazier. But that's a problem because there are artists out there um, that don't have that huge social footprint and... They shouldn't be dismissed. It should be a meritocracy. It should be based on the quality of the songwriting and the performance. Like you mentioned earlier, did it make you cry? You know, and I have a a couple of artists right now who don't have massive social footprints, but kill it live. And they're recording very important, uh, amazing music. And that's a real frustrating thing for me when uh, a booking agent will tell them, yeah, I couldn't get this thing for you. We need to get your numbers up. And that also brings us to a story we've been talking about lately about fake streams and fake followers Mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. Why do you think people are doing that? It's because we're placing as an industry, we're placing way too much importance on, on this footprint. One of the things that there's a little, just a little sentence that, that, that I I had not thought about, but it's so true. And it says the problem hits musicians in a, in a unique way. Actors are not expected to self-promote to the same extent and often eschew uh, social media. Writers generally don't have such large followings, nor the parasocial relationships that come with them. So it really is, in music, we are expecting so, so much. And in many ways, the other facets of the entertainment business do not, in terms of at least the artists themselves or the creators themselves, don't have nearly the same pressure that musicians do. Yeah. And it's, I had not thought about that, but it's so, so true. And, yeah. you know, it's, it is, um, uh, it's, it's, it can be, I can see how it can be over. I mean, listen, it's hard enough to, to, to have the pressure of creating great music. You know, that's, that's. That's super hard, by the way. And yeah. then to do everything else on top of that, and the the uh, 
The article also mentioned that Billie Eilish abandoned Twitter to preserve her mental health. The U.S. indie star Mitski deleted her accounts after the conclusion of her 2019 tour. Um, you know, uh, th- it's it's great to be talking about. Uh, yeah. I, I hope some change comes. And I don't know what the change could be other than like just saying, if you get to a certain level like Billie Eilish, listen, I'm not going to be on Twitter anymore. Forget it. Well, I think there are some solutions. And, and I know from talking to artists and managers, um, one of the solutions is don't try to be all things on all platforms. <clears throat> Find the one that speaks yes. to you and your brand that you love. And a lot of people, that's Instagram. Um, but some people, it's TikTok, whatever it is. Find that thing that you're comfortable with and own that. And don't try to be all things and be on every single uh, platform. But one of the dirty little secrets, and they talk about it in this article, is you know people are questioning all the time and effort that musicians spend on social media. Is it worth it? You know, due to that limited reach, you know, not every post is going to be seen by your audience unless it's boosted. It's a paid-for advertisement. And one of the quotes in here is, "You see a lot of artists shouting into the void." And I see that too. And we've mentioned this before that it can't be just buy my album, see my show, buy my album, see my show. It's got to be a a dialogue. It's got to be a relationship. And those that do it well, you know, they enjoy it, number one, but they've got this this interaction, this dialogue going back and forth. And it's, it should be 90, 10, 90% that relationship and that dialogue and 10% about buy my album, see my show. But I think that, you know, with some of these artists stepping away, um, that will help with their mental health. Having someone help you, um, it can be part of your street team and that street team mm-hmm. can be mom, dad, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, uh, you, you have your core group. Um, I always like to find that core group of people that are evangelists for an artist. And sometimes you can find folks that will either post kind of in your voice or work with you on creating a content calendar and creating those assets and kind of a cadence uh, of that posting that's not going to drive you insane. So you can focus on writing that song that makes people cry and they talk about Tegan and Sarah about they launched this Substack newsletter, um, mm-hmm. and that they found a little bit more joy in. You know, they, it's got more than six thousand subscribers. It's a you know a paid for thing at about you know six bucks a month. And uh, Sarah said Substack uh, is us um, unselfconsciously saying we like our words and our ideas and our stories have value. And I'm seeing this more and more. And and again, it's one of those topics that you and I talk about frequently because it's developing so much. And that is, you know, these places like Patreon where people can subscribe to you, you know, Substack. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, whether it's Cameo, Thrills.co UK, you know, there's so many of these uh, OnlyFans. These platforms are evolving and changing. And it comes back to that, you know, thousand true fans thing. Uh, you don't have to be all things to all people, but you need to find your tribe. And I think when you do, um, you can exploit them. And I mean that in the best possible way. I just mean monetize. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, as a fan of music like you, I want to be uh, supporting my artists in in that way. And social media, unless you're, I mean, it, listen, unless you're paying to uh, advertise a lot of those posts, they're going to fall on deaf ears. And it's going to drive you crazy. So there's got to be a happy medium struck in there. The the, the article ends with Sarah uh, saying, um, you know, sometimes I wish the electrical grid would go down so I wouldn't have to do it anymore. (laughs) 
but we're in a maze and I don't know how to get out. And that's just an awful wow. feeling. Wow. Yeah. And she's not alone. I hear that. No, I'm I think sure you that's hear that all the, the rule, time. not the exception. Yes. Yes, I, I totally get that. And I can see, and then, uh, you know, ultimately, listen, we, uh, we all only have so much bandwidth. And if you, you know, if you're, if, if you're spending so much of that psychic energy and time on marketing and social media things, and, and that, where does that take away from? Well, that takes away from your creative space and your, and your, your you know, your songwriting or your performing yeah. uh, duties, so to speak. And you know, it's it's a challenging time. And, you know, listen, we, we talk about this as well. You know, congratulations. There are no more gatekeepers. You know, you are completely responsible for your career. You can upload music and it'll be right next to you two and Stevie Wonder and whomever else. But guess what? You have to market yourself. You have to promote yourself. You have to be knowledgeable at all of this stuff. You have to write great music, by the way, still. But, you know, all of these other things. And boy, oh boy, it's hard to be an artist right now. Yeah. And listen, if you are uh, one of these artists that is feeling the weight of all of this, you know, reach out for help. Um, there's lots yeah. of help out there. Um, if you can't uh, find help, you know, reach out to Mike or me and we will help you. But it, it's so important. Um, you're important. And, uh, you know, with the social media, it's it's a challenge. We understand why you're doing it and and why you need to do it to help grow your audience. And it's that perception is reality thing when people are lazy and they just look at your numbers to judge whether you're going to get on a tour or get on, you know, uh, a television show or something. Uh, I get it. There's real pressure there, um, but you need to take care of yourself. So, yeah, great absolutely. piece in in the Guardian, and there was a companion piece. Um, in um, the Wall Street Journal. It was behind a paywall, mm -hmm. so unfortunately, some of my uh, readers reached out to me that they, they couldn't read it. <clears throat> um, but the headline of that one was, Making TikTok Videos Leaves Musicians Feeling Burnt Out. And we don't have to you know go into it in great detail. It kind of echoes some of the things in this uh, Guardian um, article. But the one thing I will say about it is that some of these artists are upset because they're getting pressure from their record companies saying, we need to reach this younger demo and we need to do it by TikTok. And as we uh, discuss, TikTok is kind of the easiest platform to gain views, but one of the hardest to gain traction as far as real engagement. Does it happen? Sure, happens all the time. But again, that's a lot of work. Um, the, and a lot of time that you're spending that you're not spending writing, recording, mm -hmm. uh, perfecting your live show, et cetera. Yeah. Doing the core stuff you need to do. Well, it's, and of course, and everybody, uh, if you're on a label, <laughs> we've all been in those meetings. Hey, okay. We need to create a viral video here. Uh, how do we do that? Well, yeah, you don't just put that as a line item on a marketing plan to create viral video. It's sometimes it happens. It usually doesn't. And, you know, but that's, but the, that's, that's not the script that everybody is repeating, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's jump up to the next one. Uh, speak, because of course we're going from how bad it is or all the pressure and then, uh, but how TikTok creators are redefining success in the music industry. This is from Yash Bagal. And you can, it is so true. I mean, it is unbelievable how, how, and, and I, I don't know about you. I, I didn't, 
I, at the beginning of TikTok, I did not see that potential for artists and music and all that stuff. I just didn't. I don't know if you did. Uh, you probably I, I, did because yeah. You, I mean, I was I was in there I pretty am. early, even before it was TikTok. You know, they had some other platforms like Musically and and some of those. And I I knew those little bite sized chunk videos um, were lighting things on fire, and we were creating them for some of our artists. So <clears throat> when TikTok really started to explode, you know, certainly you know we were there, and our artists were there, the ones that wanted to be there, and I. I kind of dug into it because it, it kind of sucks you in. And I'm not talking about, you know, the 16 year old doing the, the dance challenge, but I was fascinating at the fascinated by the way music is used. Um, and it's really such a big part of TikTok. whether you're doing a magic trick or whether you're, you know, um, showing your relatives that you can actually sing and surprising them and, you know, and again, dance challenges. There's so many different things. And it's not just about uh, kids. You know, there's a lot of adult things going on on, on TikTok too. Um, but I really enjoyed this piece because we were just talking about the pressure that some of these artists are under now, you know, to, to be on TikTok and to grow their audience on TikTok. So um, the first part of this piece, it, it has this uh, TLDR, which stands for too long, didn't read. And I use that quite a bit. And I just thought it was funny that they, basically what they did is they put together an executive summary. They don't call it that, but you and I mm -hmm. talked about this offline that you know in our jobs working at major labels, it was very important to write uh, an executive summary when you were doing some kind of a report because these are busy executives and they're not going to read every word. In fact, mm -hmm. you're lucky if half the people uh, that you do that report for read it. That's why you want to have beautiful charts and graphs that they can glance at and see trends and all of that. But the bottom line to all of that is that we would always create these reports that had a couple of sentences, three sentences or a paragraph of this is what this report says. And with, with this TLDR, too long, didn't read, uh, at the beginning of this, they kind of have uh, an executive summary. And much of this I agree with. There are a couple of points that I would love to talk to you a little bit more about that I would maybe challenge. But in general, most of this stuff is, I think, spot on. Uh, a few points that, <clears throat> that they point out in the music industry, uh, the distribution of music has been prohibitively expensive and largely unmeritocratic if I'm pronouncing Say that, that three right. times face value. Well, we talk about, you know, meritocracies and, and all of that, you know, being based on the quality of the, the music. <clears throat> That's one of the rare things in this article that I would argue with. I don't think distribution is expensive um, and largely unmeritocratic at all. I think, you know, with CD Baby, TuneCore, DistroKid, you know, it is so inexpensive and easy. Distribution's not uh, a challenge at all. You can get global distribution in a heartbeat very inexpensively. But most of the stuff is, I think is really interesting. Like music uh, creators have needed substantial capital to ensure that they're on the favorable, favorable end of an unforgiving uh, power law to get their music heard in an industry where, you know, like 7% of artists are driving 90% of the streams. You know, major record labels have been the sole financiers and therefore the de facto determinants of success. Yeah, in the old uh, industry, absolutely. Uh, TikTok has radically changed this by making the global distribution of music free and meritocratic, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I believe you are. You know, TikTok 
is is deep in music, but it's not necessarily a music platform per se. And, right. And the thing is, is that it's not just about you know that the 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 cream rises, right? And there still are uh, gatekeepers and. TikTok will get behind something that it believes is going to get traction and will work with labels and creators. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not quite a level uh, playing field, but as they point out, you know, that's that's a billion users and that's a lot of ears and eyes. Well, and one of the things they kind of talk about here is sort of, you know, leaking st- what we would kind of sort of call demos, basically, is kind of creating not finished content, but sort of little kind of bite-sized, um, let's go with demos, uh, just to kind of gauge interest yes. and, and see if see if that kind of catches fire and then, you know, and, and, and kind of ride that interest and, and comments and, and feedback to the actual finished version and then launching that with hopefully a bit of tailwind to kind of give that content, uh, a, a, an audience out of the gate. Yeah. And I, I, I was kind of unfamiliar with that sort of strategy. Um, cause I can see that completely blowing up in people's faces. You know, it's one of the, one of the dirty little, I remember when I was at, uh, when I was at Warner brothers records, in fact, um, uh, the, the guy that I was working for was, was the product manager for the cult. And, he told me that if if you heard the cult demos, uh, you would be horrified, you know, because they were very. And, but but that's the way it is for a lot of artists, you know. It's like it's really just kind of getting, right. just getting it yeah, down, getting the idea down. It's not about yes, but yes. Conversely, um, I have some artists that make such amazing demos that, that yes, we have, a, we have a term for it. We call it demo love where you fall yes. in love with a demo. And then when they record the final produced engineered mixed, you know, version, you're like, Oh, you're like, well, yeah. that's, but you know, if you've heard demos by bands like jellyfish, they are almost exactly the same yes. as what Albie Galutin produced later. It's really more of an arrangement thing and less about, mm-hmm. because there are artists out there that are so good at crafting their songs and recording them. But then again, you know, there's this uh, really great podcast you've probably heard of called song exploder. Oh, uh, Rishi Keshaway. It's, it's phenomenal. And he did this one on Weezer and they were talking about uh, the songwriting process. There is unlike anything you've, you've ever heard. And I won't spoil it for you. You got to listen to the podcast. It's, it's really great. But to your point, TikTok now has this really cool uh, ecosystem where, as you described, um, someone will basically float that air balloon by to see, like, is there any interest in this? And then if there is, maybe they record a little bit better version that's not the final version. And then they may go into the studio and really do like a full-on version that they put out on the DSPs. And you and I have both seen uh, so many artists that, get signed to a major label deal by having yeah. a song that's that's blowing up on TikTok. I was surprised to read that uh, a couple of them had never played a live show. Um, right. Never, you know, one of them got in the studio and never had seen uh, live, like, real instruments. All the music she had made was on a laptop. So she'd never seen, yeah. like, and been in the same room with this stuff. So it's a, it's a whole new world 
Well, and and a couple of these people they mentioned are not even musicians. You know, it, they were kind of taking sound effects essentially and making kind of tracks. And it, it's it, the thing that kind of concerns me is that you're looking. You know, not everybody is a good judge of a demo. You know, and and a lot of people can't hear the magic. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so you know, you're you're kind of letting the crowd crowd determine if you're going to move forward with it. But if you're the artist and you're 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 passionate about your your song, it doesn't matter whether what anybody thinks about it. You need to finish it. And and yeah. some of the best songs have been you know people didn't like it or whatever. And it, it's really hard to f- kind of plow through that. But if you're now determined, letting letting essentially crowdsourcing your A and R for your songs, um, it can be good. It can be bad. I think. Um, yeah. I, you know what it reminds me of a little bit is, do you remember Big Champagne? Yes. So Big Champagne, for those that don't know, was one of the earliest in the space. They were um, measuring bit torrents and peer-to-peer file trading, you know, mm-hmm. the lime wires of the world, the illegal version of Napster, et cetera. And what was really interesting about Big Champagne is they tapped in and they could tell what people were we're downloading, um, stealing, file trading, whatever you want to call it. And they use that data. They broke it out by DMA, designated marketing area, which is the same as what SoundScan, which is now MRC, did. And they went around to labels and basically got thrown out of every label office until they met at Interscope in Santa Monica with Jimmy Iovine. And Jimmy said, wait, wait a second. You can tell what these fans are actually downloading and you can tell what's on their computer. And they said, yeah, we can, we can, we can track that and you can do it by DMA. So what they started doing was kind of what this TikTok thing is, is they would uh, kind of do some tests to see what songs were resonating. And what they learned really quickly was that they might not be picking the right singles from albums. So they started letting the users decide like what were they gravitating to and in what markets and then they would go after radio play on those tracks in those markets and they found it highly successful because it wasn't just some executive's opinion or some a and r guy's opinion Mm -hmm. or what the band wanted to put out it was really more of like listen this is what the people have spoken this is what they're list they're actually doing and that's the thing you know when you look at Spotify, for example, with their stream count, it's kind of similar to that where you can just say, oh, wow, here, here is the EP, the album, the track, whatever. And you can see daily, like what, what is performing, what's overperforming, maybe what's underperforming. And again, it's like radio callouts, but it's in real time globally. It's in real time. Yeah. Eric Garland was the guy, I believe, who was big champagne. Yeah. That was, yeah. Him and Ethan. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, such a. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to those guys. Are they still around? Yeah, um, I still talk to them. Yeah, from time okay. to time. Uh, Ethan has a an airplane. He took me for a a little ride once and uh, up the coast. And nice. and Eric Garland. Uh, um, I still will touch base with him like on socials from time to time, and we'll we'll exchange some smart ass comments and. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, really? they're, they're still around. Smart ass comments. Oh, Ethan. Uh, Ethan is uh, the head of digital for Fender now. Okay, I did not know that Fender Musical Instruments. Yes. Um, well, and, well, and of course, you know, if, if you've ever worked with artists over the years, you'll you'll know that that 
oftentimes they are the worst judge of the best song on their album. You know, they, <laughs> it, 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 you know, sometimes throwaway songs that they think nothing of end up being massive hits, and they're like, right? Wow, I never. Eh, that's that, what I don't like that song that much. We, we've mean, all we've it, all heard those stories of the radio DJ who flipped over the A side and played over, the B side, right, yeah. and then it's this this big hit. I'll also tell you that. Um, that's changed in this new music business too, in that the, the song that you pick, let's say your lead focus track, isn't necessarily the, you know, like the old days of radio. It's really what is the most accessible to the largest audience, not necessarily the best track. And we ran into this with one of our clients a, a while back where they had this amazing um, ballad that sounded like this 60s throwback. And um, I pushed hard for them to to go with that because the first time you heard it, it was just infectious and you wanted to play it again and again and again. And we had some resistance. We had the conversations anyway. We did put that out and it was highly successful, more successful than any other track. But, you know, it's not that I'm an A&R person. You know, I rely on my business partner, Jeff Mosco. You know, he puts together those now, that's what I call music CDs. And mm -hmm. he, know, he knows a hit better than anybody on the planet. Um, but he understood right away when I was telling him like this, this ballad, this is the most accessible. Um, and, and he gets it. Well, and then of course the other problem too is, <laughs> as we're talking about A&R and radio, uh, sometimes an artist will have like that. I, I don't know which artist you're talking about or if that was sort of, uh, slightly different than with what, what a lot of their other songs were, but sometimes was. you have that where, yeah. where an artist will have a song that is certainly outside of typically what the way they write or perform and that's a hit and then fans buy the album and that's really the only song that's kind of like that song. And that's another problem, but, yeah. but it's, you know that there's there's uh, all kinds of stuff going on with 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 in that world, but um, it's interesting to see TikTok used in that fashion, which is sort of um, advanced. Let's just call it advanced um, A and R, where people yeah. kind of they they like okay, I like where you're going here. Yeah, this is good, and and then and then you move forward with it. So or I don't, and or I don't, you, you and, and maybe on. that's yeah, right, and that's kind of. Um, you know, you talk to to professional songwriters, like songwriters that write with others and for others, and you you have to be very um, what's the right word? It, it, kind of brutal with yourself, I suppose. It's like you just cut bait and move forward. It's like you can't fall in love with your own material too much when we're you know. Sometimes you just have to be say, okay, that wasn't resonating. I got another one right here, and I yeah. got another one. And, and so I deal with some professional songwriters, and mm -hmm. I I concur with what you're saying. There's a uh, a really great documentary, I think it's on Amazon Prime, called It All Begins With a Song. And it's mm -hmm. about the Nashville songwriter ecosystem, which is unlike any other writing ecosystem anywhere. And there are others in other markets <clears throat> that are really amazing, but there's nothing like the Nashville songwriting um, community and how they do what you just described, where they get into a room, they, they work every day. They work nine to five, yep. but they work, you know, on Music Row or wherever they work. They go in, they turn on the coffee and they co-write and they write songs all day long and then they go home. And seeing that process and how just what you described, they'll go down a path and it'll seem to be working. And if it's not, it's like, you got anything else? Yeah, I, yeah. I got this idea and they throw it out and yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and especially in Nashville, it's so unique in terms of not only the physical 
way Nashville is laid out. It's it's not a small town, but it's a but the business is so condensed into into small area into a relatively small area, and of course in Nashville, <clears throat> a lot of country artists do not write their own material. So there is much more of a old school music industry with like publishing over here, artists over here, and kind of blending the two. And that documentary is fascinating because you really see you know, what it's like to be in a writing room. And yeah. like you said, tossing ideas back and forth and tossing out ideas. Like, nah, that doesn't work, that doesn't work. And then just moving on. Like, eh, we don't have it today, whatever. And you come yeah. back tomorrow. But but the 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 importance of keeping at it and basically having that that schedule where every day we you just work at it. It's yeah. And like in the in the great Eagles documentary oh where uh, yeah, where he talks about uh, um, uh, Glenn Fry talks about uh, Jackson living, Brown. Jackson, living, either living above under, or below yeah. Jackson yeah. Brown. Yes. And Jackson Brown would get up every morning. He said he could hear him like make tea and sit yep. down and, and he would just ride every day. And he said, oh, it's that's how, that's how you do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Elbow grease, I think he said. Yeah. You, you just keep working at it. So, yeah. Well, and listen, listen this, is, this is a great piece. Um, we're not going to go too deep in all the charts and graphs and things that they're talking about. I just wanted to touch on some of those high level things, but you pulled out of it what I found the most fascinating, and that was the releasing of demos and unfinished versions and that live focus group type thing. And and look, TikTok is a beast, and it's it's breaking artists. But also going back to our other story, you know, from the guardian, you know, some of these, excuse me, artists are, they're being pressured to get involved with TikTok, where maybe that's not, um, where they'd like to be or where they want to be. And they're being, mm -hmm. um, kind of coerced in some cases to go on there to grow an, a younger audience. But the last thing I'll say on this article is that audiences, um, can smell something that's disingenuous a mile away um there's got to be some integrity there so again focus on those platforms that are true to you your brand your music who who you are um and we'll continue to watch the developments with uh with tiktok and all these other platforms yeah. So our last story is, as we kind of mentioned at the top, you know, you do need to get out your um, acronym decoder ring. Uh, the, uh, Dean Wilson, who manages Dead Mouse, talks, uh, this is from Variety, by the way, talks DAOs, NFTs, crypto, and how to protect your IP in Web3. Yeah. It's probably worth, it's probably worth uh, mentioning what Web3 is, which, which is kind of this uh, to quote from Wikipedia, uh, it's an idea for a new iteration of the World Wide Web based on blockchain technology, which incorporates concepts including decentralization and token-based economics. So we have talked about Web 2.0 back in the day. We're, we're still in Web 2.0, but this is yeah. kind of the new, the new thing, Web 3 or Web 3.0. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good definition, but when people ask me, I say it's it's... It's a, it's a virtual world. You know, think about it yeah. as just, uh, you know, a, a video game, for example, and you're buying, you know, a sword for your avatar, you know, or you are, you know, selling virtual goods, you know, whether it's a token, an NFT, um, whatever that virtual good is, that's kind of Web 3.0. When you talk about DAOs, when you said DAOs, those are called DAOs, and that's a decentralized autonomous organization. And stay with me, people. Don't fall asleep. This is super simple. It's just a, basically a group of people who have kind of pooled their funds and resources to accomplish a task. 
for example, you know, a virtual world, a social platform, a cryptocurrency. And the reason I bring that up is Dean Wilson and Deadmau5, his real name is Joel Zimmerman, they, they're very tech savvy and have been on the forefront of this uh, long before a lot of artists have. And so, you know, I've kind of followed, like even EDM in general, were the first to really kind of capitalize on NFTs. Um, we talk about it almost every week that, you know, Sherry, who has a Patreon, and if you subscribe to her Patreon, you have access to her database of all of the music NFTs that have been bought and sold and what, what cryptocurrency, what, you know, wallet, what uh, marketplace and what they sold for, were there 10 of them or one of them and what were the results and you can click on it and see what it is. But if you look at that and you look at things like Dead Mouse and Blau, EDM was way ahead of most other genres, you know, when it comes to music and web 3.0 and NFTs. And this, this piece, as you mentioned from variety, and we talked about this a little bit last week that, Variety has really kind of stepped up over the last couple of years. Yes, they have. Uh, from being just this kind of beautiful entertainment magazine with beautiful people in it to really digging in deep and reporting on what's going on in the music industry and trends. So kudos to our, our friends over at Variety. But, you know, the, these guys, when I say these guys, it's Dean Wilson and Joel Zimmerman, you know, um, they have they've been on the forefront. Um, Wilson said that they were the first on Minecraft. You know, it was way before NFTs and blockchains. You know, and their fans are into these you know tech savvy things. And if you're not familiar with these, and frankly, you know, um, a lot of people aren't because it's new. You know, you and I like to say you know that quote from my grandfather: "An, an idiot is someone who doesn't know what you just found out." This stuff's been around like a week and a half, so let's take a deep breath <laughs> right. and just you know Google some of these things and look for examples, and you can kind of see if it's right for you and and your brand and your your music. But uh, these two have been on on the cutting edge of this stuff, and they were talking about their friend um, Ray Lee, who's part of Audius, who we've talked about. You know, he built something called Upfront back in the day, and it was basically OnlyFans before OnlyFans existed. You know, he, mm -hmm. he just wanted to do that. He wanted to pull everything off of every platform and just have like one subscription model. And I've heard this a lot lately. You know, once you're in the door, then you have access to everything that he's done. And we were talking, this is probably a year ago. Um, I'm a big fan of this Twitch um, uh, artist named Jay Gregory. And for the longest time on Spotify, you would go look at Jay Gregory's um, Spotify profile and it just had one little square that said, follow me on Twitch, right? Uh, and um, I did follow him on Twitch. And what was really interesting, I got to have a couple of calls with him and um, just an amazing artist and amazing person. But what was cool is he was recording his new album last year basically on Twitch and you could go in and watch him record it and interact with him as he's recording it. And he would show you, this is how I make this sound. Here's how I did this beat. Here's how we double track. This is what we're going to do next. And <clears throat> there's a running chat and he would say, Oh, Hey, Jay's here. You know, what do you think of such and such? And it was just a, this Twitch thing was just so different than anything I'd ever been uh, involved in. Well, this kind of speaks to what he's talking about. Like, can you have a community, whether it's through 
you know, Patreon or another platform where you own your fans and you can basically give them access to everything that you do for a subscription. Mm -hmm. But these are things that, you know, Dead Mouse and his manager were into years ago. Well, and it's funny in that scenario, God, I would find that so distracting, you know, to, uh, to, to, to be recording with all these people there. It, it would, that would, I, that to me sounds horrific. Um, it's not for everyone. God bless him. That's not for everyone without a doubt, but wow. But it, it, it and you know, and I'll be the first to say, and, and you have so much more of a handle on blockchain technology than I do, but so much of this revolves around blockchain technology right. and just kind of getting your arms and, and head around blockchain is really, I, I find a challenge as I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around all of this stuff. Um, well, yeah. let me, let me so, give you like the 30-second elevator version because sure. I get this question almost every day. <clears throat> and, you know, cryptocurrency, the, all of this, these things are not really that difficult, but they're just new for a lot of us. So let's, let's take um, the blockchain and think of that as basically, um, in your mind, think of it as like a spreadsheet that you can't mess with, that is... Um, protected and duplicated and it's something that um, is registered where if you have something in that's registered on the blockchain that it's provable now that you uh, own that nft or Mm -hmm. whatever it is now you've got this thing that lives there but there are also things that really excuse me complicate matters i think for users um, when they start getting into this, like I wanted to learn how to do this. So I I went to buy an M, uh, NFT. So I bought some cryptocurrency, attached it to a wallet, attached the wallet to a marketplace, bought an NFT. <clears throat> and then I saw, well, I was charged with these gas fees. Like, what the heck is that? Like, why did I get charged? No one told me about that, right? <clears throat> and so, you know, I, I looked it up and learned, you know, what it is. And, and I'll, I'll read you like just a, a sentence, you know, what they say like online, you know, uh, a gas fee is the unit of measurement, the amount of computational power required to perform a transaction on the blockchain akin to the gas you put in your car. This GAS, gas, fuels all the specific actions that you execute on the blockchain. And people don't understand, some people don't understand just how much energy is required Mm -hmm. to do some of these transactions on the blockchain like mint and nft and it's horrendous uh for the environment so there's a couple of companies we've been having conversations with one is called serenade um the other one is called one of which is a, a quincy jones company and they do a lot of these things for you which is amazing but they also do it in a green uh carbon neutral uh sort of way and i think that's kind of the new uh, the new way that these these businesses are going. I think the the old school way of you know getting rich quick and maybe selling an NFT for millions of dollars. It's really not about that now. It's really about think of NFTs, for example, as just uh, a digital collectible that you have that you own, and it's provable that you own it on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And if I buy an NFT for a thousand dollars and I sell it to you for $10,000 um, and then you resell it for even more, I participate in that resale 
Whereas right. if you have a piece of art and you sell it, you're, you're not involved with it anymore. But with some of these digital things, you can participate financially later. <clears throat> anyway, there's a, there's a lot of uh, different digital products, you know, things like tokens. And, and I think that by following people like dead mouse, um, these guys are standing on the shoulder or you'll be standing on the shoulders of giants because they're, they're a little bit further ahead. Um, and you should dig into this interview. There are questions like, you know, how can web point three help address the music industry's biggest challenges? You know, um, they ask about, you know, you're pretty web web three savvy. How do you drive adoption into this space? You know, things like that. But look, don't feel stupid if you don't know this stuff we just learned about this stuff um and it's it's evolving it's new but i guess the bottom line to all of this is you have an opportunity with this um this variety article by jeremy gilbertson to really kind of learn from people who were early in the space and are finding how they can do it in a in a way that their fans like and a way mm -hmm. that they can monetize and um and something that you can learn from well and and the the best the best kind of little paragraph in this article is what would when they ask dean what would be your advice to independent artists looking to explore web3 he said yeah. first of all do some research and ask a lot of questions don't make any moves don't do any deals <laughs> if you want to stay independent use all the tools that are currently out there don't sign any long-term contracts ultimately don't do anything without finding out who's involved what it does where it's going and who the investors are what your returns are going to be and how your ip will be used boom that's it right there that's right <laughs> let's that is it yeah exactly so you know listen we all want to jump into to new and, and interesting things but that's probably the best advice it's like swimming in a swimming hole, you know, at night. <laughs> Be really careful. There's a lot of rocks and a lot of stuff going on there. So, <laughs> On that note, Jay, we do need to wrap up, but let us, of course, thank the wonderful folks that got us here. Thanks to the Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button and send us your comments when you are listening to our podcast. We certainly yeah. appreciate that. And on that note, Jay, let us start our weekend, even though folks will be getting this on Monday morning. So thank you all for listening in to the Your Morning Coffee podcast, Jay, and I certainly appreciate it. And uh, we will be back next week for episode number 82 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.